Grab the study guide that's in your program and turn in your Bibles. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to start. As you guys are doing that, we're going to start with, it's not a contest, really more of a survey. When it comes to soft drinks, by show of hands, how many of you are Pepsi people? Pepsi, Pepsi, Coca-Cola. Oh my goodness gracious, that's crazy. Best basketball player of all time, LeBron James. LeBron James. Michael Jordan. (laughs) Yeah. I think I'd be different if it was L.A., right? Probably. Uh, Best band of all times, Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. Beatles. You know, first service Rolling Stones win. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Best fast food restaurant. Which one do you like more? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. In-N-Out. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. Okay. Now, uh, best pet. Now, before you answer this, I just want you to know, Depending on your answer, you may or may not lose your salvation. I just want you to... How many of you are dog lovers? Dog lovers. Because God loves dogs. How many of you love cats? Okay, everyone who raised their hand, prayer room right after the service. That's where I need you. We're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. Okay, here's, here's where I'm really trying to arrive. We can go back and forth on all these different fun, controversial things that we can't really decide. But when it comes to faith... What is the greatest example of faith in Scripture? I started to think that through. I started to write some ideas down. Certainly someone like Noah has got to be on the list. Build a boat in the middle of a desert. It hasn't rained for 10 years. You've got to have faith to do that. Daniel has to be on the list, right? Uh, yep, throw me in the den of lions. I don't care. I'm going to be a person of faith. I'm going to trust God no matter what. Mary, the mother of Jesus, has to be on the list. 15-year-old kid, okay, uh, who is told by an angel, even though you've never had intercourse, you're going to have a baby. You've got to have faith to believe in that, right? Job has to be on the list, right? I'm going to take everything you have away from you, everything, right? Today, you're successful. Next Sunday, you're homeless. You don't have anything. Job says, do whatever you've got to do. I'm still going to be a person of faith. But when you look at all the examples in Scripture, who's the greatest example uh, that we have or standard of faith? It's not even close. The Bible says it's Abraham. It's Abraham. I wrote a couple things down. Abraham is mentioned 74 times in the Old Testament, referenced in all four Gospels. In Hebrews chapter 11, which was week one of our series, right, you have all these examples, heroes of the faith, the all-stars of the Bible, right? Most people get one verse, one verse, one verse, one verse. Uh, uh, Noah, or I'm sorry, yeah, Noah gets five verses, or Moses gets five verses. Abraham, 12 verses. It's not even close If you want to understand faith, you better understand who Abraham was, how he lived, and why it matters. So if you're in a six-week series on faith, that's what we're doing not only for this week, but we're doing for next week as well. And it's really a part one, part two. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the different phases or stages of faith. It's going to kind of make sense to you as we go along, but basically, the way faith works itself out depends on the stage you're going through. Some of us are young, some of us are old. Some of us are single, some of us are married. Some of us are, are, are jobless, some of us are, are not jobless. Some of us have kids, some of us don't have kids. Some of us are brand new Christians, some of us have been Christians a long time. Wherever we're at in our stage in life and whatever we're going through, 
your faith will work itself out a little bit differently. So as we're going through the six phases, we're only covering three today. As we're going through the six, you have to ask yourself, which phase am I in? Now, in some cases, you might be in several, depending on the situation. At work, I'm in this stage, but at home, I'm in this stage, right? So be listening for that. Our story begins in Genesis chapter 12. That's the story of Abraham, and his name starts out, Abram gets switched to Abraham, so you'll hear me mixing that up throughout, but here's how the story starts, Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And then God promises this, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be a blessing through you. Number one phase is what I'm going to call the direction or the directive phase, okay? This is very simply where God tells you to do something, you do it, okay? He tells you to do something. Now, in this specific case of Abram, he he promises him several things, right? If If you do what I'm asking you to do, which is to leave to go to this new country, I I promise you guidance, right? Just leave, trust me, I'll be your navigation, right? He promises him success. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. He promises him favor, right? Which is basically, listen, if people are nice to you, I'll be nice to you. If people pick on you, I'm gonna pick on them. In other words, you're gonna be my favorite, right? And he also promises him legacy. You, your family, the nation that will come from you will be a blessing to the entire earth. Now, what you need to understand is that just as God speaks to Abraham, he also is and wants to speak to you. The difference is back in those days, because we don't have this book primarily, he's literally speaking audibly. Today, not so much. You're not literally audibly going to hear the voice of God. So when I say God's speaking to us, I'm talking about this idea that he's prompting you. He's nudging you. He's wanting you to to go and speak to you. He's pushing you in that direction. You have a strong sense in your mind and in your heart. God wants me to go that way, not that way, right? That's what we mean, right, when we're talking about God speaking to us. The issue for so many of us, When he's speaking to you, whether it's a big issue, you know, start a business, marry that person, move here, whatever, a big or a small issue is that we're not that great at listening. Would you agree? Don't be telling me it's a millennial issue. It's a cultural issue. We just, we, we are not that good when it comes to listening. That's why our action step, you don't want to focus in on the title. You want to focus on the action step. The action step is listen carefully to God. Listen carefully to God. He is trying to speak to you. He wants to communicate. Listen. James chapter 1 says everyone should be quick to listen. Proverbs chapter 1 says you're wise if you listen. But the most important passage is John chapter 10, if you want to write that down, where Jesus is speaking and he says this, my sheep or my people hear my voice and they listen to me. Question, can you hear him? Can you hear him? Do you hear him. This is incredibly important. Again, I think most of us, the biggest issue, not only do we not know how, we're going to get into that a little bit, but we are, we are not good at listening, right? We're, when, when we're listening to people, we're, we're daydreaming, we're interrupting, 
We're jumping to conclusions. Have you ever had someone, you're talking to them, and they go, no, I'm listening to you, and they're doing this? Have you ever said, my kids do that, I will slap that phone right out of their hands, right? I threaten them. I'll take you out of the inheritance. You're not getting any, right? We'll, we'll give it to Josh, right? Don't be telling me you're listening while you're on your phone. How, how about God? Are you doing a good job listening to God? Because for some of us, we are never quiet. We're always rushing. You know, when we pick up God's word or try and pray, there's other things going on in our life, including our phone, including TV, including people. How do you, how do you expect to really be able to hear him? We're not good at listening. One of my favorite stories about listening was a story about uh, Franklin Roosevelt. President Franklin Roosevelt did not like state dinners, right? This is where they have all kinds of dignitaries, all kinds of people come, a lot of them foreign dignitaries, and they have a big banquet, right? And they have a long line of people that get to shake the president's hand, take a quick picture with him, maybe say a few words. And he said he just did not like it. And you know what? The number one reason, he said this, I just feel like people aren't listening to me, which is weird. He's the president. And when he was further asked, he said this, it's almost like they have their little prepared speech, whatever they want to say to me, they don't, have a, they don't listen to me at all. And so he said, he actually said, I tried a social experiment. And in one particular big dinner, big state affair that they had, they had the long line of people and, and he would shake their hands and they would talk to him and then he would lean in and he would say this, this morning I killed my grandmother. And what was interesting is how people responded. Oh, that sounds great, Mr. President. I think that's a really good idea. They weren't listening to him at all. Over and over again this morning, I killed my grandmother. On and on and on. He said this and no one you know, said, well, what are you talking about? Did I hear you right? No one said that. They weren't listening to him until the ambassador from Venezuela came. He shook his hand this morning. I killed my grandmother. And he looked around and he leaned back into the president. He said, I'm sure she had it coming. (laughs) Are you listening? I'm serious. Are you listening? Now, part of it for us is we're not sure if we're hearing God's voice. I mean, okay, so what should I do? Should I go this way? Should I go that way? No, let's not put that up there. You're rushing me again. Go back. Thank you very much. Is it his voice? Is it my voice? Is it the TV's voice? Is it my mom's voice? Is it my flesh? How do you know if it's actually God? Does that make sense? Because we're, we, we catch ourselves. Is this what he's really asking me to do? Now let's put it forward. There we go. Let me give you four ideas. Write, write them out in your, in your study guide. I think they're going to be helpful. Number one, is it self-centered or God-centered? See, when God asks you to do something, if the only one that benefits is you, if, there's no, if he doesn't get any glory, any benefit, I'm telling you, it's likely not from him. If you haven't figured it out by now, God's primary goal in your life is not to give you comfort. It just isn't. And once you figure that out, you start to clean up a lot of the, the ideas and phrases and voices in your head. They're not from God. He's asking you to be godly, which includes him getting some glory. Second question, do other godly people give you the thumbs up? One of the primary ways that God confirms that he's speaking to you is through the people around you. Now, you've got to be wise who you pick. But if you're picking five people, you better have your three to five people. I think God is asking me to fill in the blank. What do you think? What do you think? Honestly, as the pastor, I'm doing this all the time with our staff, with our, with our leadership, our board, I think we should do, what do you guys think? 
Why am I doing this? Because God speaks through other people that are also in tune with his spirit. And if they're going, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I'm telling you, likely not from God. Number three, does what you think God is telling you to do, is it matching up with your gifting, your experience, your talents, your personality? So if I stood up here this morning and said, last night I was praying and and I felt God told me this is what he wants me to do. He wants me to quit my job as a pastor and become a professional golfer. You know what we could all conclude? That's not God. You want to know why? I'm not that good at golf. What I think God is telling me isn't matching up with who I am as a person. Does that make sense? So you hear people that have these grand, God wants me to open a restaurant. We don't like eating your food. I'm pretty sure that's not God telling you to open a restaurant. It has to match up with who you are. How's God made you to be? Does that make sense? And the last one is by far the most important one. Is it in sync with this book? Does it sync with this book? Because God will never, ever, ever tell you to do something that doesn't match this book, his word. So my point is this, and this comes up a lot. If you're not opening this book on a regular basis and reading it and studying it and sometimes occasionally memorizing it, I'm telling you, you're not not in a position to to him kind of speak to you. You're you're just, your ears are closed to what God is asking you to do because he primarily speaks through this book. Does that make sense? Phase number one, God is trying to speak to some of you. Do you realize that? He's trying to nudge you in this direction, that direction. He's trying to prompt you. You and I have to listen. We have to listen. Story goes on, verses four through five. Here's what we read. It says, so Abram uh, went just as the Lord had told him. That's a key phrase. And Lot, Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out from the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Phase number two, stage number two is what we're calling the decision phase. The decision phase. So it's very simply, listen, directive phase or stage, God speaks to you. He nudges you. Go this Go that, you know, he nudges you, he speaks to you. The second phase is after listening to him, you do it. It's not that hard to figure out. Now, if, if, you, if you wanna see under our action steps, because there are several here, the primary one is bolded in red, all caps and underlined. Do you see it on the screen? For those of you looking at your notes, I, you're really, Dave, you're gonna make us write out the word obey four times. That's exactly what I'm gonna have you do. I'm trying to make a point. Don't overcomplicate what God is asking you to do. It's not as complicated as you and I make it out to be. It's very simple. Do what he asks you to do. Obey him. Trust him, right? Now, let me flesh out the different ways we obey him. Uh, Number one is obey him immediately. Obey him immediately. I, I, I was going through some files, cleaning up some things. We've had a rash of fires in Northern California over the last year plus. But there was a while back... That, that Southern California had a rash of really big fires. And I came across an article of a town that was destroyed by fire, and, and it was interviewing uh, the chief of, uh, of, of fire that was there. And they asked him this question, why so many fatalities? Asked the fire chief, why so many fatalities? Because you warned this particular time over and over and over. It wasn't like the, the, the fire in paradise was just swept through in 40 minutes. 
No, this one you could see for hours coming. For hours, it was slowly making its way towards this community. Why did so many people die when you literally had police officers going door to door saying, hey, you got to leave. You gotta... Why did they die? You want to know what the fire chief said? They hesitated. They waited. They delayed. You know, it's interesting. If that's what happens in the case of a fire and the consequence as severe as it is, I wonder how severe it is when we hesitate with God. I think for some of us, we don't even realize it. Do this. Go here. And we wait. And we wait. And we hesitate. And we delay. I'll do that, but not until. And then we have a list of things that need to happen. Don't do that. Do it right away. Second, obey joyfully. It's the idea that you don't do it begrudgingly. You don't whine. You don't complain. Right? You do it joyfully. Third, obey completely. You know, I I really didn't catch it this week until I was writing this list. Do you see the discrepancy in chapter 12 between what God tells Abraham and what he does? Because it's amazing. You see the phrase, and Abram did what the Lord said. And the very next phrase, no, he didn't. It's absolutely fascinating. And that's why I love scriptures, because it doesn't make uh, Abraham, it makes Abraham to be an example of faith, but it also tells us all his flaws. What did God ask him to do? Two things. Leave your neighborhood, your country, and leave your extended family. Wife gets to come with you. Leave your extended family. And Abraham did everything God wanted him to do. Next phrase. And his nephew Lot went with him. He didn't do everything God wanted him to do. Lot's my favorite nephew. You know, he struggled in high schools and, you know, he keeps, you know, he's gone through a bad phase. I'm just going to take him with me. It'd be best for him. Sounds so small. Do you know the rest of the story? Lot is a pain in his blessed assurance. I mean, it's problem after problem after maybe God knew something. What do you think? Could I make a point? You need to understand that partial obedience is really a form of disobedience. And you just don't realize how it's going to catch up with you down the road. The last one is obey continually. I want to show you something in these verses, verses 6 through 8, that catches my attention. Let's put it up on the screen. It says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah. The Canaanites were there in the land. Abraham built an altar to the Lord. Then he moved on and went toward the hills of uh, uh, east of Bethel. And there again, he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Now, when you're doing Bible study, one of the things you want to do is if there's something in the text that just seems out of place, right away you should stop and go, why is it there? So when I was reading these verses, my question that comes up is why does the writer of Genesis find and feel the need to include this tree? It just seems so out of place. We're talking about Abraham, how to become a person of faith. He went to the tree of Moreh. What? What? And you start doing some digging and what you discover very quickly. You see right after the tree reference, it referenced the people group that were living in the area, a people group called the Canaanites. You study their faith and religious system and you talk about pagan. Oh my goodness gracious, a pagan faith they had, a pagan religious system. You want to know one of the things that the Canaanites did in their religious system? They worshiped trees. And you want to know what their favorite greatest tree to worship was it's on the screen 
It was their great tree of more. And there they would have rituals and there they would perform sacrifices. What's going on here? You want me to tell you what's going on here? Abraham is walking around and he decides, I am going to find the darkest, most spiritually oppressive place I can. He ends up at the tree of Moreh. And right there, I'm going to have a church service. I want to make sure in the darkest place, who the, I want to make sure everyone knows who the one true God is. We're going to have a church service. We're going to have a little sermon. We're going to have the singers in the worship team. We're going to have the ushers come forward. Then we're going to have a potluck. One of the things that's important to realize, and Abraham gets it from day one, he understands our faith is supposed to be personal, which means you can't inherit it from mommy and daddy. My faith has to be personal, but it was never intended to be private. And Abraham gets that from day one. Oh, no, no, I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to let them know right in the middle of the darkest area I can find that I'm a follower of the one true God. You see, here's the thing. I shouldn't have to guess that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your coworkers, classmates, and family members shouldn't have to guess that you're a a follower of Jesus Christ. It should be obvious. Now, you don't have to be a brat about it, but your faith should be public. But in the context of what we're talking about here, you remember, this is the phase where we are to respond and decide to follow him and decide to obey him. What Abraham understands is, listen, faith and obedience doesn't just count on Sunday morning. Faith and obedience doesn't just count on youth group night. Faith and obedience doesn't just count on Bible study night. Those are the easy times to follow and obey God because you're surrounded around a bunch of people that already want to obey him. You want to know when you also need to obey him? When you go to the darkest place you can think of and even there you continue to obey him. That's genuine faith. I obey him all the time, every time, no matter what. That's the standard we're shooting for. Here's what we've learned so far. Let's put it up there. Phase number one is direction. Direction, I listen. Phase number two is decision. I obey. Phase number three is delay. Now, this is the last phase we're going to cover today. First phase next week is a a follow-up on this one. But I, I want you to follow the progression. God speaks to you. He wants you to do something. I heard you, God. I'm going to obey. And then somewhere down the road, he makes you wait. And sometimes he makes you wait a long time. Anyone here in a waiting phase? Anyone here taxiing the runway, wondering when you can land? Trying to figure out, what is God doing? And then when you're in that waiting period, when you're in that delay period, you, you know what, what happens? You start to wonder. You start to question. You start to doubt. Did I, did I really hear him back there? Was that, did he really want me to do it? Or did I just mishear him? You start to worry. You start to have fears. You know what's interesting? So did Abraham. So we have a story in the middle of the night. He's sleeping and he can't because he's tossing and he's turning and he's worried about all these things going on in his life. Let me show you. Let's put it on the screen. Chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid. When you read that chapter, God's like, hey, come, you know what? Why don't you leave the tent? You're going to wake the whole family. Just cut, let's go outside. 
Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't be concerned. Now, what, how God answers begins to reveal what he's concerned about. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. But Abram said to him, Sovereign Lord, what, what can you give me since I remain childless? So you have to look between the lines, but let me show you what he's concerned about. Let's put it on the screen. Three things. He's concerned about his physical well-being. See, if you read the story just before it, you, you want to know what happened? Lot messed up. I told you he would. He messed up. A- Abraham, his uncle, had to bail him out. And so now he's in a situation where because he had to bail his nephew out, he's concerned about the other people that, and wondering if they're going to come after him. He's concerned about his physical well-being. That's why God says, listen, I- I will, I'll be your shield. I'll protect you. He's also concerned about his finances. He doesn't really have a job, doesn't really have any land. Things aren't going great yet, right? And God says, no, I know, I get it that you're concerned about your financial well-being. I will be your reward. Trust me, I'll take care of you. And the last one, he's concerned about his family. He's, 11 years have gone by, God. 11 years he's waiting. He's now late 80s. He doesn't have a kid. You said I'd have a big family and my family would turn into a nation. I don't even have a son. He's concerned about his family. He's worried about that. Is it just me? Look at that screen. Are those the same exact things we worry about? Our health and our physical well-being, our finances, which sometimes overlaps with work and job, and our family. That's what we worry about. The action step here, it's kind of a, a twofold action step, is this. Stay hopeful and keep trusting. Stay hopeful and keep trusting. I, um, this past week, I was thinking about that first one, to, to the idea of staying hopeful. It's critically important when you feel like you're, you're, you're fading and things aren't happening the way you'd like them to happen. I, I want you to think about this. In, in Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says this. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. That's the chapter of love. Love gets a lot of pub in, in the New Testament, doesn't it? I mean, love, love, you know, you're, Jesus says you're, they're going to know that you're genuinely my followers if when you walk out these doors, you love people. You love each other. Faith gets a lot of publicity. We're having a six-week series on it. Hebrews 11, if you don't have faith, you can't please God. Why don't we talk about hope that much? Think about it for a moment. We talk about love. We talk about faith. Why not so much hope? Because apparently, Paul is identifying those three as, those are kind of three things you need in the Christian faith, in the walk. You want to know when you need hope? You know why you need it? Because when you're in a challenging period of waiting, that's when you feel like giving up. That's when I feel like going curling and laying on the couch. And hope says, don't do that. Trust in God. Believe in God. Keep swinging away. You got to hope. Because when you have God on your side, that's pretty special. You got to hope. We're going to talk a little bit next week about how, how do you increase your hope? If you've lost it, how do you regain it? But the other one, and don't forget our, our definition for faith. It's trusting and obeying him no matter what. And in this phase of waiting and whatever God has you waiting for, you know, you want to get married, you want to have your own business, you want to, what, whatever it is you're waiting for, he says, keep trusting me. 
Dave Sauer, the guy who did the baptisms, and I were with a friend the, a couple weeks ago. We were, we were in downtown Oakland. We were going out for dinner, and um, he was parallel parking. And as he's parallel parking, uh, Dave Sauer, he was in the back seat because I call shotgun. He goes, he says, uh, he says, isn't this a Tesla? Yeah. Don't, don't Teslas have a, like a little button you can press and they'll parallel park for you? He goes, yeah, they do. So then I chime in and I go, well, why aren't we pressing the button? Because this parallel park job is not as good as you think it is, right? And I love what he said. It was so, it was so revealing. He said, he goes, no, I do have that button. He, sh-. he goes, he says this. He says, I just don't trust it yet. I don't trust it. Now, with a car, it's not the end of the world. So he parks the car. But when you do the same thing with God, now it's a big deal. No, I'm not letting go. But all you got to do is press the button, let go of the wheel, and let God. Nope, not doing it. How many of us are doing that? Because you get into a delay phase, which basically means everything in life isn't working out the way you'd like. And we have this crazy idea that suggests, you know what? I, I think I'm going to need to help God out. I mean, I pressed the button, but he's having trouble with the parallel parking. So I think I'm going to take over. And I'm telling you, don't do that. Don't do that. Stay hopeful. Keep trusting. Let me give you a couple verses as the story goes on. Verses 3 through 6. Very important passage. Abram said, uh, you have given me no children, so the servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your flesh and blood will be your heir. God took him outside and he said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if you can even count them. And then he said to them, so shall be your offspring. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now that phrase is repeated over and over again in scripture. That phrase gets quoted in Romans by Paul as he's explaining the way that God works itself out. So I, I gotta go on a little tangent and I have to make sure we understand what's going on here. So let me show you, break down the three words. When it says that Abram believed in him, we use that English word in a cerebral way. I believe my teacher and what they said about the American Revolution. I believe my teacher and a what, what two and two equals four. We, we always talk about the word believe in a cerebral way. But when scripture uses that way, it's referencing faith. It's saying, listen, when God said, trust me, you're gonna have a big family, a great nation that will bless the world, even that you don't have a kid, the idea is not that he just believed him intellectually, but he trusted him. He had faith in God that he was gonna pull off what seemingly seemed impossible. He believed him. He had faith in him. Now, in response to that, as it is applied to us in the New Testament, Abram and you and I are now credited. Our accounts gets credited. Now think about when your account gets credited. That word to credit is a financial term, not only in the, in, in the Bible, but also how we use the word. Credit means something gets added to your account that you don't necessarily deserve right? Or maybe you got a refund or something. So let me explain it to you this way. You spend the money, spend the money, put it on the visa, put it on the visa. You decide, oh my goodness, I haven't gotten the, my balance yet. So you call your visa company up and you go, I need to know what my visa payment is or what my balance is. And, and, and the operator goes, hmm, and they got your name and they get your address, they get your account number. They go, this is weird. There's nothing on your, on your account. 
there's no balance. And you go like, it's got to be wrong. I mean, I've been spending big time. And they go, oh, there's a little note here. We see what's happened. Apparently, a Mr. David Fossil paid off your account. <laughs> By the way, this is just a story, just an illustration. It's not going to happen. He paid off your account. And you're like, I know my pastor. There's no way he did that, right? And they go, no, no, we've been talking about it in the call center. He's been calling and doing this for all his friends. Watch. Paul says in Romans that every time you sin, you incur a debt. And you sin some more and you get a bigger debt and more and more debt. And the debt that you owe God because you have so much sin in your life is the equivalent of our national debt having been tried. And and you as an individual don't have the capacity to pay the debt that you owe God. But watch, if you believe and have faith in God, believe and have faith in Jesus and his cross, the first thing he does is he erases the debt that you owe him. But that's not enough to still have a relationship with him because now you're just at zero. And being at zero isn't enough. You not only need to be forgiven, you need to receive a credit. So what now Jesus does is he takes his goodness and he takes his perfect life and he takes his death on the cross and he credits it to your account. So when God the Father goes on laptop and looks up your account, righteousness has been imputed to you not because you're a good person, but because Jesus is a perfect person. Does that make sense? And this is why it's so important. Let me show you. Next slide. My faith plus God's grace equals eternity with him. It equals salvation. I need you to turn to the next person next to you. Give them a high five and say, that's a good deal. You got to mean it. I want to hear it. Guys, not only is this a good deal, everyone, we, we have been in church so long, it doesn't choke us up anymore, and it needs to. Your debt was paid for, and you received a credit of righteousness that you did not deserve. I'm going to wrap it up with these last couple verses. We're going to go back to chapter 12. We're still in the delay phase. He goes from this big, big time of waiting, waiting, waiting. And in chapter 12, verses 8 through 9, here's what we read. God also said to Abram, I I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Now I want you to notice on the screen, what have I highlighted, bolded, and put in a different color? Do you see it? It's the question mark. I I, want to make sure you, and I tried to increase the font as much as I could without making it awkward. I need you to understand that when you go through a delay phase, When you sense God has taken you down a path and then he's got you waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, you're going to naturally at times ask questions. What what the heck God is going on? So I want you to know it's legitimate to ask questions, but I also need you to know that how you ask your questions matter. Does that make sense? This is how we're going to end. Let's put it on the screen. There's four things I want you to do. Number one is be honest with your questions. Don't sugarcoat your questions. I hope you know that at Bay Hills, you're allowed to ask questions. I hope that if you're in a small group Bible study, if you're a small group leader, encourage questions because we all have a few, right? You're not gonna, we're not going to throw you under the bus or tell, oh, I can't believe you're actually wondering that. No, you're allowed to ask questions, okay? So ask away. Second of all is be humble. It's interesting to me that when, when Abram talks to God, he references him twice as, oh, sovereign. You're sovereign. You know what that means? You're in control, and you're a lot smarter than I am. 
Don't forget that. He's sovereign. You and I are not. Third, be respectful. He says, O sovereign Lord, which is translated in our culture as boss. Your boss, your king, your God, I am not. Those of you who are in a a position of authority, maybe you're a boss or a manager, maybe you're a teacher or a coach, maybe you're a parent, would you agree it's okay for people to ask you questions as long as the tone and the attitude in which they ask it is correct? Same with God. Same with God. Ask away, but you better check your attitude. You better not come at them cocky, humble, and respectful. And the last one is be faithful. Because watch, sometimes you won't get a complete answer. Sometimes you may not get any answer. Sometimes you get an answer you don't like. But regardless of what happens, are you going to choose to obey him, yes or no? I was watching a documentary. I'm going to end with this. A documentary on World War II on uh, D-Day, which was June the 6th, 1944, when the Allied troops uh, landed on the coast of Normandy and began to take Europe back from the Nazis. And this documentary had two different soldiers that were interviewed. One was a Marine that landed on Omaha Beach. Now, I have a picture of what that looks like, but I want you to know that I chose a picture that was kind of cleaned up. Because, uh, for example, have you ever watched the movie Saving Private Ryan? That's a movie about this, this war. And what I'm told and what I read is that that film uh, and the scenes on the beach were probably some of the most realistic about what actually happened. It was incredibly bloody and incredibly violent and incredibly destructive. And this, this Marine, who is now an old man, was speaking about when he and his buddies landed on Omaha Beach. And he said, you know... When my buddies were dying around me, when bombs and bullets were coming from everywhere, I looked around and I was convinced we're going to lose this battle. We're going to die. Because all he saw was what happened around him. And then in the documentary, they interviewed the second person. He was an aerial reconnaissance pilot. He had a different perspective. Let me show you what he saw. He saw the transport boats as they were releasing the Marines onto the beach. And he said, as I saw what the Marines were doing and how they were breaking through the lines, as I saw what our paratroopers were doing as they began to take spots in areas that the Germans and the Nazis had at one point, as I began to see what our aerial bombing attack was was having and the impact it was having on the battle, he said, when I looked from where I looked, you know what I became convinced of? We were going to win. Now, here's why this is important for you. Let me show you. Let's put this last slide up there. You and I are in the trenches You and I are involved in hand-to-hand combat. You and I are looking around and our buddies are getting beat up and shot up because we barely have time to breathe. We're trying to avoid bombs and bullets as best as we can. And sometimes when you're right there, you look around and you're like, I don't think I'm going to make it. I think that dreams are going to fall apart. 
But I want you to know, and don't, you can't push this illustration too far. Listen, God is with you in the trenches. But because he's God, he also has a different perspective. And from his perspective, he says, trust me. Keep doing what I asked you to do. Because if you do, we're going to win. You're going to win. So as you're thinking through your phases, let's put it up there just to summarize. Where are you with God right now? Do you realize some of you have some big decisions to make in life right now and you've been asking your buddies and you've been asking your boss and you've been asking your family, you know who you haven't asked for yet? Direction from God. And I dare to say he he has some input he'd like to give you, but you need to be willing to listen. For others of us, God has clearly spoken to you. And to be honest, you don't need another sermon. You don't need a Bible study. You don't need another verse. You certainly don't need a pastor with the, a meeting with the pastor. You know what you need? To obey. Stop talking about it and do it. Obey him. Many of us here may be in the delay phase. You're waiting and you're waiting. And I want to encourage you to renew your hope and to keep obeying, keep trusting. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just take a breather right now. What phase are you in? What does God want you to do? Take a moment, figure it out. As we wrap up, why don't you guys stand with me? We'll close in prayer, and I'll let you get going. Just a quick reminder. You already heard it during announcements. Uh, Easter weekend is all hands on deck. If you guys can help us out, stop by, fill out this little sheet. And uh, if you can, meet at the other uh, site. That would help us just to free some space up there. Make sure and go back to the back table and fill that up. But let me pray for us, and I will let you get going. Heavenly Father, each and every one of us at different stages in life, going through different situations. And so it's helpful to see and to understand that how you ask us to to live out our faith is different based upon who we are and where we're at. So I pray that each and every one of us, though we haven't covered every stage yet, each and every one of us can clearly see and identify something from this morning that specifically applies to what we're going through. Father, we're grateful for who you are. And we just, as we say every week, we want to be a people that is known by faith. We want to be a church that is known by its faith. Help us be that, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.